Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we're going to be, not previewing, we're going to be recapping all of our college football action from week 12 of the 2022 college football season. And guys, we are pretty much already done with the regular season. There's only technically one week left, but the fact that we are already 12 weeks through the regular season just feels so weird because I still remember week one like it pretty much was yesterday. And now we're pretty much already facing the end of the season as we're going into conference championship week. So anyways, y'all, before we do get into all of our college football action from this past weekend, I do want to ask y'all to please make sure that you do like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody. It includes your grandmother, your mom, your dad, your sister, brother, whoever. Make sure you let them know about the Cover 7 podcast so they too can stay up to date with anything college football and NFL related. So anyway, guys, like I always say here on the Cover 7 podcast, I do not want to waste y'all's time or my time either because we've got a decent amount of games to talk about in today's episode and some of them are some pretty good games now as we all know this was cupcake week in the sec aka the week that the sec plays schools like missouri valley state you know troy you know schools like that that are really small and are pretty much just we'll pay you two million dollars to come to our school to pretty much get your behind whooped so anyways y'all let's get into our action and and of course, this is the best time of the year as we now are in week three of Maction time as on Tuesday to kick off all of our games. The first game that we're going to talk about, we had the Ohio Bobcats traveling to Indiana to take on the Ball State Cardinals. And for Ohio, they've been a pretty solid group of five team. I mean, offensively, they've been pretty solid this year. Nothing amazing or anything like that, but they were currently were sitting at seven and three going into this game and, you know, easily had a lot to prove. They're still trying to, you know, uh, contend for the MAC uh, conference championship game, and then for Ball State, you know they're looking to be able to go bowl eligible. You know, going into this game, five and five, one win away from being bowl eligible. You know, they were going to heavily rely on their running back Carson Steele, who might honestly have some of the best hair in all of college football. I mean, he's getting nicknamed Thor, similar to Noah Syndergaard over in the MLB. So, and also not to mention, he has a pet freaking crocodile. I mean, how much better does that get? But anyway, you know, a little bit into this game, Ohio. Their offense, they just simply continue to dominate as in this game. Their freshman running back, Bangura, he would have 23 carries for 148 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Just was absolutely unstoppable. The offense was clicking on all cylinders, and they really had Ball State's number pretty much the entire game. And then for Ball State, they suffered a huge loss as, once again, their star running back that I was talking about a little bit early on, Carson Steele, he would actually leave the game in the first half and would not return. And his day, he would finish up with 14 carries for 98 yards rushing and likely would have almost had 200 yards rushing you know, at the pace he was going. But ultimately, it would be the Ohio defense that would come in clutch in the second half. As Ball State, they were starting to mount a comeback after they put up uh, they put up about 15 points in the second half, but they were starting to make things get a little bit too close for comfort. But, but once again, Ohio... They continue to just dominate as they would go on to beat Ball State 32 to 18 as Ohio State or not Ohio State. Sorry, I'm so used to saying that. As Ohio now with this win and the Bowling Green loss, they now have clinched a spot in the MAC championship game and overall just a good win for the Bobcats and then for the uh, Ball State Cardinals. They're now at five and six and they only have one game left, which will be against Miami of Ohio at Miami of Ohio. It'll be their last chance of becoming bowl eligible. So that should be a pretty interesting game to watch next week. So 
Anyway, the final in this game, it would be 32-18 to Ohio as they now improved to 8-3 and and have officially clinched a spot in the East Division for the MAC Conference Championship. So, anyway, guys, now to on to our final game that we had on Tuesday and our first day of Week 12. We're going to be talking about the Bowling Green Falcons traveling out to the Glass Bowl to take on the Toledo Rockets. And well, for Toledo, there were 17-point favorites going into this game. And, you know, we got news ahead of the game that their starting quarterback would not even be playing. So they would have to go with their backup quarterback in this game. And, well, it definitely showed as I just the whole entire night this Toledo offense just looked miserable, especially in the first half. Now, they would get things going in the fourth quarter as they really made a comeback and would actually lead and get their first lead of the game with less than a minute left. But Bowling Green in true Maction form, they come up clutch with a game-winning drive, and they get into the end zone with only nine seconds left in the game. As Bowling Green, they pull off our first upset of the week over the Toledo Rockets, 42 to 35. As Bowling Green, they now improve to six and five and are officially now bowl eligible. And for the Toledo Rockets, they now fall to seven and four and still have to wait and see if they will be able to make the uh, MAC championship game. So. Psych for all you people out there that thought that Ohio was guaranteed to make it. They likely still will. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that one bit. I mean, Ohio, Ohio will definitely make the – they definitely will make the MAC championship game. But just what a game this was. I mean, hats off to uh, Bowling Green quarterback McDonald as he had – as he would go 19 for 35, 392 yards passing on the night with four touchdowns and one interception. I mean, he went off. And then not to mention for Bowling Green, their senior wide receiver – Oday Hilari, he absolutely went nuts against this Toledo defense as he would have seven receptions for 243 yards receiving and two touchdowns in this game. As Bowling Green, they pull off the upset win and become bowl eligible over the Toledo Rockets, who I personally thought would win this game, but Bowling Green, they made me bite my words as once again they beat Toledo 42-35 to to wrap up all of Tuesday's Maction games. I mean, just what a way to start off Week 12 and it only continued to get better. So, guys, let's get over to Wednesday's slate of games. And the first game that we're going to talk about on Wednesday as uh, day two of Maction continued is going to be the Eastern Michigan Eagles traveling over to Kent, Ohio to take on the Kent State uh, Golden Flashes, who just came off of a pretty impressive win against, um, I think it was Bowling Green. Yeah, it was Bowling Green at home. They absolutely destroyed them. You know, so going into this game, I had a little bit of, you know, doubts. And definitely the way this game started, I was like, oh, shoot. I really picked against Kent State, and they're about to make me regret it once again. Because at halftime, Kent State, they were leading Eastern Michigan 17-7. to But in the second half, Eastern Michigan, they got things going in offense as they would put up 24 points in the second half. And, you know, a lot of that play would go behind their quarterback, Powell, who pretty much had a dang near almost perfect game, going 30 for 39 315 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, he looked really, really solid tonight for the Eagles. As Eastern Michigan, they would be able to hold off against Kent State as Kent State's kind of emerged as a really good, you know, really good group of five team at least these past two weeks in Maction as they would beat Kent State 31-24 to as Eastern Michigan. They now improved to 7-4 and on the year. And Kent State, they now fall to 4-7 and and are now out of any type of bowl game and have fallen out of bowl eligibility. Now for Kent State, you know, they really, it's kind of weird to think that they had two 100-yard receiving uh, wide receivers in this game. They had Walker with 121 and then Polk with 100 and, 105 yards, and they still somehow managed to lose this game. So 
action, I'm telling you, it does weird things. And in this next game that we're about to talk about, man, was it absolutely weird. And that game is going to be up in Michigan. It, you know, be a little bit more specific, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, as we had the Western Michigan Broncos taking on the Central Michigan Chippewas. Now, in this game, Western Michigan, they were going to want to play spoiler because they already are out of any type of bowl, you know, eligibility. It's currently sitting at three and seven, but Central Michigan, they're sitting at four and six. They have to win out, and this would be a huge game for Central Michigan. And, you know, well, in this game, there was not a lot of scoring, and, you know, rightfully so, there was at least about a foot of snow in this game and now I might be a little bit off it may not be exactly a foot but I know for sure that that was definitely a ton of snow and in this game is you can probably all guess the game plan for both of these teams was not to throw the football as much well I mean they had to on the last drive for uh, Central Michigan but for the pretty much throughout the most part of this game they were running the football like crazy Central Michigan they had 159 total yards rushing the ball and then for Western Michigan they had 255 of their own and well Western Michigan after getting the game winning field goal and then stopping Central Michigan on what could have been the game winning drive they pretty much pull off the upset win against their in-state rival Central Michigan as they would go on to beat the Chippewas 12-10 as Western Michigan. They now improved to 4-7 and on the year. They won't make a bowl game, but definitely they played spoiler to Central Michigan season. as going, Like I said, going into this, this game, they needed to win out. And well, Central Michigan, they were just not able to do that, especially at home in which I thought they would easily have beat Western Michigan. But now the Chippewas, they fall to 4-7 and and are now out of any type of bowl contention. So, Anyway, guys, we do have one more game left and, you know, the final game of our Maction slate. So, unfortunately, we are done for this week in Maction after this game. But the final game that we did have, we had the um, Miami of Ohio Redhawks traveling to DeKalb, Illinois to take on the Northern Illinois Huskies. And, well, in this game, I actually had Northern Illinois winning. I know that Miami of Ohio, they had the better overall record as going into this game. They were currently at 4-6, and six, and the Northern Illinois, they were 3-7. and seven. But watching Northern Illinois last week when they played, they looked pretty good, especially running the football. And I didn't even realize this, but in case y'all don't really remember, uh, Jordan Lynch, the former NIU quarterback who actually led the Huskies to an Orange Bowl appearance against EJ Manuel and the Florida State Seminoles back all the way in 2012, which was literally a decade ago, which makes me kind of feel old and I'm only 17. So that just kind of put that in, uh, into perspective. So. Anyway, his younger brother's actually on this team, and, I mean, he balled out last week, and in this game, you know, he played a little bit, only had four rushing yards, but Northern Illinois, they're, they're able to run the ball pretty effectively. This was really a neck-and-neck neck game. It kept, constantly kept going back and forth, back and forth, but ultimately Miami of Ohio, they would get the win over the Huskies as, excuse me, Miami, they would go on to beat the Huskies 29-23 to as Miami of Ohio. They now improved to 5-6 and six on the year, and their bowl eligibility is still very much alive as next week they go on the road and take on Ball State, or I think it's at home, but either way, they take Ball State. And what will be a game between two teams who currently, you know, in that game, loser, they're going to just sit at home, and then the winner, they're going to go bowling. So that'll definitely be a fun matching game to watch next week. And then for Northern Illinois, they now fall to 3-8 and eight in like multiple teams right now in college football as well. They're just wanting to head into the 2023 season and get a clean slate at 0-0 zero and zero so they don't have to look at that current record. So 
anyways, y'all, that'll wrap up all of our action for a Wednesday and all of our Maction action for this week and week 12. So now let's get over to Tuesday. And, you know, normally on Tuesdays we have two games, one being an American Athletic Conference game and then another one being a Sunbelt game. But this week we only had an American game. But this American game was probably one of the best group of five games that we had all weekend. And in this game, we had Tanner Mordecai and the SMU Mustangs taking on the Tulane Green Wave. And sorry, the 21st ranked Tulane Green Wave. And well, in this game, the key definitely for SMU if they were going to win this game was could the offense continue to just absolutely explode? You know, Tanner Mordecai had 10 total touchdowns against Houston just a few weeks ago. He also balled out against South Florida last week, you know, allowing for them to get their sixth win of the year and the first bowl appearance under head coach Rhett Lashley. And then for Tulane, the, you know, the magical season is still going. They're still very much in contention for going to the Amer American Athletic Conference Championship. And, you know, just going you know into this game, both teams had a lot of momentum, right? SMU currently riding a two-game win streak or two- or three-game win streak. And then for Tulane, you know, they're coming off a pretty quality loss against a really good UCF team. So, both teams had a lot that they wanted to prove in this game. And while well, one team would do exactly that, and it would come in the form of the Tulane Green Wave, who I actually thought were going to lose this game. You know, I thought as well as Tanner Mordecai had been playing, you know, 11 total touchdowns in his past two games. I thought going into this game, they would definitely test this really stout defense of Tulane. And well, Tulane, they responded immediately to that whole little uh, conclusion that I made, and they just absolutely shut down Tanner Mordecai. As on the day, Tanner Mordecai statistically, you know, did not look as bad. 32 for 50, 308 yards passing with two touchdowns and two interceptions, which I know a lot of people would be like, hey, if my quarterback was able to put up those numbers, I would take that 100%. But if you actually watch this game, there were a ton of struggles. Rasheed Rice, who could have had an easy touchdown to start the game, he dropped a wide open pass that would have gone for seven. And this whole Mustang offense just struggled to get anything going. As for them, they only put up 24 points. Really, it was more 17. They got one late touchdown in the fourth quarter, but outside of that, they were just not able to do anything at all in this game, and they would actually have to go with their backup quarterback, Kevin Jennings, who's a freshman out of uh, South Oak Cliff, Texas, and, you know, they put him in this game because, well, it's garbage time. Tanner Mordecai did as much as he could, and just overall, a really rough day if you were a Mustang fan, but if you're a Green Wave fan, I mean, seriously, and I'm not saying this to joke around, I'm actually being legitimate. Tulane might have a chance at potentially a New York Six Bowl game if, now there's a big if, if they're able to win out the rest of the year, win the American Athletic Conference Championship, and hopefully a lot of other little circumstances happen where a lot of top 10 teams lose because, I mean, hey, I think it'd be pretty cool, and I think we all can agree, seeing the Tulane Green Wave in a New York Six Bowl game would be pretty good. And, you know, it's not just because, oh, they've been a really bad team, now they're good. This team honestly is really deserving of, you know, being able to go to one of those bowl games. As, you know, we talk about their defense, you know, week in, week out, but their offense was what really dominated in this game. As rushing-wise, I think Tulane, they have not only one of the best backs in the American Athletic Conference, but I think one of the best backs in the nation and definitely needs to be talked about a little bit more, and that's Tajay Spears. As Tajay Spears, who doesn't have any crazy stats, uh, 875 rushing yards on the year, so obviously he's not going to, you know, completely be a stat machine but man does the way he run it's just so physical and I mean he is elusive as crud I mean you will not be able to get this man down and that was, that was the exact problem that SMU had in this game as Tajay Spears he would have 13 rushing attempts for 121 yards rushing and two touchdowns 
with most of those stats coming in the first half, mind you. He really didn't get a lot of carries in the second, so pretty much all of those stats were just in the first half alone. So yeah, it was a pretty good day if you're a Green Wave fan, and I mean... I mean, obviously a big shout-out needs to be given to the defense because, you know, SMU, they have one of the highest-scoring offenses in all the nation. You know, they put up 77 points against Houston two weeks ago, which was a FBS record in regulation. So going up against an off offense like that is never fun. And Tulane, they stepped up, stepped up to the challenge as they, were, as they were able to contain SMU to only 24 points. As the Green Wave, they'd be able to get a really solid quality win 59-24 over SMU as a green wave. They now improve to 9-2 and likely are looking like they're going to be heading to the American Athletic Conference Championship. So it's going to be interesting to see who they do play. You know, you still got Cincinnati in the thick of it. You got UCF. So it's really going to be interesting to see who that number two team will potentially be. And well, once again, do not ever, and I'm myself included, because from now on, if I ever do have to uh, pick between Tulane and another team, I think I'm going to have to pick Tulane because this team made me majorly bite my words. I mean, they played like they actually heard what I said, and a ton of credit to the Green Wave as they now improve to 9-2 and two with a huge win over Tanner Mordecai and the SMU Mustangs. Now, guys, that'll wrap up uh, Thursday's slate of games. Unfortunately, we only did have one game, which is a bummer, but let's get over to Friday's slate of games, and we actually did have a few games on Friday, but the first one I want to talk about to kick it all off we're going to actually stay in the American Athletic Conference similar to Thursday's game, but we're going to go over to Tulsa, Oklahoma, as we have the South Florida Bulls, who have been one of the worst teams in all of FBS, taking on the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, who have just had a really disappointing year compared to where a lot of us, including myself, thought they would actually be, you know, potentially right now sitting at, you know, 7-3, and 6-4 and four maybe, but being at 3-7 and seven was something I don't think Tulsa thought they'd be at. But, you know, anyway, into this game, as we all know, South Florida, one of the worst teams in all of the nation, and, well, we would actually have a duel of two running backs in this game who would both put pretty crazy stat lines on the day of South Florida, their running back uh, battle. He would have 19 carries for 169 yards rushing with one touchdown on the day. And then for Tulsa, their starting running back, Prince, he would have 26 carries for 220 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well. As this was pretty much an offensive shootout from start to finish. And while Tulsa, they would get the better of the South Florida Bulls, who likely may now end their season 1-11, you know, after losing this game they now sit at one and ten but I mean just man what a disastrous year for the Bulls as the Tulsa Golden Hurricane they get a 48 to 42 uh, win against the South Florida Bulls on Friday night as we wrap up all of our action from Friday night we did have one more game the San Diego State and New Mexico game San Diego State as we probably all could have projected they won that game so there you go Aztecs y'all won a pretty decent game but um but anyways, beautiful people, let's now get over to Saturday's slate of games. And this had to have been one of the most wonky Saturdays we've had all year. We had a lot, and I mean a lot, of really close nail-biting games, including the game that me and my family, when we, went, when we went to, when we went down to Waco to see TCU take on Baylor, that was one of the craziest finishes to a game that we probably will have all year. And one of the craziest I've definitely seen in person. And then we had so many more, I mean, just 
it was it, it was honestly an astonishing Saturday. We had a really surprising upset in the ACC, which we'll talk about here, obviously a little bit later when we talk about our midday slate of games. So, anyways, y'all, like we always know, we go from start to finish. So now let's kick off our noon slate of games. And the first game that I want to talk about in our noon slate of games, and you know, like I just talked about the game that I was actually going to. So I do apologize for not posting a lot of highlights or TikToks or anything, but you know, while we were constantly on the road after we got out of the game, so. You know, just just deal with it, all right? I promise I'll, it will get back once conference championship week starts and everything like that. So, But anyway, the first game I do want to talk about is going to be the fourth-ranked TCU Horned Frogs coming off a really good win down in Austin against the Texas Longhorns, in which they only allowed Bijan Robinson, the star running back for the Longhorns, 30 rushing yards on the day. And it was just overall a really great defensive game for the Horned Frogs, which was something that they have not really had all year. And now they're going up against the Baylor team, which got shut, pretty much shut out at home against K-State last week, 38-3, to in which they were only able to put up a field goal, which is never really good at home. But it was senior day for the Bears, and you could tell that definitely played a huge factor. And another huge factor was how cold it was. I mean, man, I know all you people up north are probably like, quit being a sissy, you're going to be okay. But, man, it is too dang cold for us Texans down here when it hits about the 30s. We're not used to this. So I can only imagine being down there on the field. And, you know, Baylor, they came out of the game just outright, you know, firing on all cylinders, whether it was in the run game, a lot of misdirections, read options. They were pretty much doing what TCU does best and using it against their own defense. They saw what Texas could not do. They saw what Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and all those teams struggled with, especially in the second half, and they really optimized it in the first. They made Blake Shapin, who has struggled immensely pretty much throughout the whole year, he looked really good in the first quarter, and it honestly looked like he might have carried Baylor to an upset win as Blake Shapin on the day. He would go 21 for 30, 260. 69 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Um, the one interception, which was a huge, costly interception, came right at the end of the first half in which he would throw an interception to TCU safety, Bud Clark, in the end zone. So he threw it into TCU's end zone, which Baylor could have at least gotten a field goal. And when you look at the final score, that was pretty much the difference, and that could have been what gave Baylor the upset win. But, you know, me being a TCU fan, I'm not complaining one bit um, for Baylor, their run game was absolutely phenomenal from start to finish. So let me let me give Baylor credit where credit is due. They were running the football all over TCU in this game. The TCU could honestly not stop this team until about the fourth quarter, and even then, it kind of felt like a it almost felt like an accomplishment when you stopped Baylor to about a you know four or five yard run. Squirrel Squirrel Williams, who was a starting running back for Baylor was a major factor in this game, whether it was you know running the football or getting you know passed down to in the check or getting passed down to in the flat. Sorry, not the check down. As Squirrel Williams on the day, he would have 19 carries for 112 yards rushing. Nothing crazy statistically. I mean, obviously, if you're able to put up over 100 rushing yards, it's a really good game. But if anybody watched this game, you could tell he pretty much just had a field day on TCU's defense. But like we've seen all year in the second half, TCU's defense, they started to stiffen up a little bit, but the offense would have its own struggles. You know, Max Duggan, who for the most part, out of only throwing his third interception of the game, didn't really play horribly bad. 24 for 35, 327 yards passing with one touchdown, and then that one interception I talked about. That one interception was just kind of made you scratch your head because it was into double coverage on Quentin Johnston, who, mind you, and for all you critics out there at TCU, and talk about how TCU's always played injured teams and everything like that, 
TCU didn't have their starting running back in Kendra Miller for the second half. They didn't have Quentin Johnston in the second half. They also didn't even have their one of their best slot wide receivers and return men in the country in Darius Davis the whole entire game. So I don't want to hear any excuses about, well, TCU plays injured teams, yada, yada, yada. We were injured in this game too. So anyway, on the day, Max, I mean, one of the most greedy football players you will ever meet. This kid really took the team on his back when they needed him the most. And it looked really disappointing because TCU, with a little under two minutes left in the game, they got a touchdown. They were down 28-26. to All they needed to do was get a two-point conversion, and the game would have been tied. Max Duggan would unfortunately throw it a little bit out of the reach of backup running back Amari DiMercato, and it looked like the game was over from that point on, you know, but I was like, hey, you still got to have hope. I know how this TCU team works. For some reason under Dykes, they kind of wait till the last minute, which is not good, but they do wait till the last minute, and they will get it done. And TCU, they get a three and out, they get their ball right back, and then Max Duggan continues to do Max Duggan things, and they go all the way down the field until about, I'd say about the 30-yard line of Baylor. And one of the craziest sequences to finish the game you will ever see. As TCU, they run a, just a little short rush, get a couple yards, just help out Griffin Kell. And, you know, they didn't have timeouts. They already had three time. They already burned all three timeouts from the previous drive in which they had to stop Baylor. And, you know, Griffin Kell and the whole special teams unit, they run out onto the field pretty much just synchronized. I mean, it was absolutely played perfect. And then with only a few seconds left, Griffin Kell gives TCU the win in a game-winning field goal. And, I mean, this was just one of the most energetic games I've ever been a part of. As number four TCU, they remain undefeated and improved to 11-0 for the first time since 2010, back when Andy Dalton led the Horned Frogs to a Rose Bowl win over the Wisconsin Badgers. As TCU, they get a late comeback win, 29-28. And I just want to make sure everybody knows, Baylor was leading TCU 28 to 26 with two minutes left and Baylor had the ball so you I mean you could say all you want about TCU they had a ton of struggles in this game whether it was with a couple drops whether it was a, like just a few passes with Max which were a little bit out of reach overall they faced adversity and they handled it so well and I do not want to hear any more about this team has a weak schedule because after we talk about the rest of the games and how much some of these other schools struggled against some way weaker competition I think, honestly, it's just a disgrace right now that people are trying to still say this team does not deserve to be in the top five. Because when you look at every statistical category for the team, they are pretty much top five or top ten in every category. And not to mention, they have one of the strongest strength schedules in all of college football. They have five They have five ranked wins. You know, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas, you have Texas, you have Oklahoma and then you have Baylor, who was a preseason top 10 team, who still has pretty much the same talent from that top 10 team. So say all you want, but this TCU team, I think they really proved it. And they're going to have another really tough test next week at home against Iowa State, who has arguably the best defense in all the uh, Big 12. But anyway, TCU in what was one of the craziest games of the weekend, they etch out a late field goal to give them the win, 29-28 to over their rival, the Baylor Bears down in Waco, which that personally felt good because – in case none of y'all know, back in 2014, Baylor was pretty much the reason TCU didn't make the playoff because of that one loss, and well, that was by a field goal as well. So this one, it, it did—I won't lie—it did feel—it did feel a little bit good being able to, you know, beat them by a field goal too. But anyway, y'all, we're gonna head over to the Big Ten for our next noon game, and this honestly is kind of why I'm talking about why are we still questioning TCU and their strength of schedule because of this game exactly and this team as well. As we had the Illinois Fighting Illini traveling up to Ann Arbor to take on the third-ranked Michigan Wolverines. Now, don't get me wrong. Michigan 
has a great offense. Their defense is also really solid as well. I don't think it gets talked about enough. I think the fact that they have Blake Corm at their starting running back, who has pretty much emerged as a front runner in the Heisman Trophy, and that may not last as long due to some really unfortunate news that he suffered a knee injury in this game because he was playing really well until he suffered that knee injury. As Blake Corm, you know, right as he would suffer that knee injury, he would have 18 carries on the day for 108 yards rushing and one touchdown. And you could tell after, you know, Blake Corm left this game, that Michigan offense just pretty much could not get anything going. And for Illinois, they have a very similar running back, similar in size, similar in frame and everything. Who I think should also be considered as as a dark horse Heisman candidate because not only do I feel he's a really solid running back, statistics back him up as well. I mean, in this game, he had 29 carries for 140 yards rushing and two touchdowns. But on the year, he has almost 1,500 rushing yards and seven TDs. Obviously, the touchdowns might hamper him a little bit because he doesn't have double digits. But Chase Brown is an absolute stud at running back for them fighting Illini. And he really, honestly, is the main reason what kept them in this game. Tommy, De uh, Tommy DeVito, the former Syracuse quarterback, would go 21 for 30, 178 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. He had a few good passes, but obviously the main thing for Illinois was going to be running the football, which they did pretty effectively, but they were never, never able to really translate it into points. And then for the other quarterback from Michigan, J.J. McCarthy, who – was super hyped up coming out of high school, you know, last year between him, him and Cade McNamara. You know, everybody was like, start J.J. JJ McCarthy, start J.J. McCarthy. And, well, J.J. McCarthy this year has not really been that great. I mean, I would say his play has definitely been average. He's not been a bad quarterback. I mean, he's got 1,700 passing yards on the year with 14 touchdowns and only two interceptions, which is really good. But at the same time, this has really become more of a run-first offense more than anything. Now, Michigan fans, you can grab and complain all you want. You know what I'm saying? Because TCU, we also have a really good running back of our own, and that's definitely helped Max Duggan in our offense. But, I mean, are you going to tell me that a guy like J.J. McCarthy is going to be able to, you know, lead you to a huge mon monumental win against Ohio State next week in the horseshoe, mind you? This, this won't be in Ann Arbor like it was last year where it was snowing and everything. Next week, it will be down in Columbus, so... I mean, outside of that, J.J. McCarthy, he did honestly have a pretty rough day. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little bit stupid. I don't remember if I, if I said the full stat line he had, but he, he would go 18 for 34, 208 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. Nothing horrifically bad, but definitely, definitely got to step up a little bit more. But obviously, the Blake Corm injury pretty much derailed the offense. But the defense, the defense was really good. I mean, I know Chase Brown was able to run the football pretty effectively, but. That would be really all they would give Illinois in this game as Michigan. They would get another game-winning field goal, very similar to TCU. So for all you Big Ten fanboys, you can't tell me Illinois, who they have a really good running back and everything like that, you can't tell me that Michigan's strength of schedule is better than TCU's when, when Michigan, I think they only have, I think, one current ranked win so far, and that was against Penn State, which they did obliterate. I, you know, I won't lie, they did obliterate Penn State, but... I mean, come on. I mean, it's just getting ridiculous. I don't want to continue to keep ranting about that. But anyway, Michigan, they would get a game-winning field goal on the fighting at line night as they would get a 19-17 win. Michigan, they remain undefeated and improve to 11-0. And Illinois, they now fall to 7-4. and And I still think they're a really good team. Now, are they worthy of being in the top 25? Not really because they're not a very much well-rounded team. I think their offense relies a little bit too much on the running back play which you could also say is very similar to Michigan's running, uh, Michigan's offense as well. But either way, Illinois is still a really good team despite that record. 
Now, guys, we're going to go down to the SEC, and we didn't have really a lot of major SEC games. Now, there was pretty, there was um, one, I guess you could say, upset win in the SEC. It wasn't like a ranked upset or anything like that, but a very, very, you know, shocking upset that I didn't expect to happen here on Saturday. But anyway, the first game I do want to talk about is going to be Austin Austin P taking on the eighth ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, I'm not going to go too much into stats or anything like that because, as we all know, you can pretty much bet Alabama they were able to, you know, score a decent amount of points and everything like that. But the craziest part is that Alabama only led an FCS program 17 to 0 at half and were only beating them 7 to 0 after the first quarter. Bryce Young, who only had six incompletions on the day, 18 for 24, 221 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Obviously, they didn't use him a ton because why would they do that? I mean, there's no reason to do that at all. But at the same time, I do think it felt kind of a little bit noteworthy just to say that, you know, Alabama, they would beat Austin Pay or Austin P 34-0. But oh, this is definitely not the same Alabama team and same Alabama franchise and dynasty that we've gotten so used to seeing. So just want to make sure, you know, everybody knows that this team – they are still very much human, and they're still very much beatable. I mean, it's going to be weird not seeing the Crimson Tide in the SEC championship game because I feel like it started to become like an accustomed to almost every year. You know, outside of, you know, 2019 in which we saw LSU go and everything like that. But, mm, I mean, man, that just – it's going to be interesting to see how Alabama, you know, they do – when they make a bowl game, obviously I doubt they're going to make the college football playoff. I really do not expect them to make it because there's too many good teams in front of them who, in my opinion, have a better record and better strength of schedule, which is kind of weird to say because Alabama, they do play in the SEC, and everybody assumes, oh, they're in the SEC, one of the best strengths of schedules you can have. Not the case, bucko. Not the case. I understand Big 12 gets downplayed a ton, but the Big 12, in my opinion, really overall – has been the best conference so far this year. I mean, you can argue with the wall, argue with whatever you want, but you for yourself can go do your own research. You can go look at all the stats. You can go look at all the, you know, individual little, you know, little bitty numbers or whatever. But I'm telling you right now, the the Big 12, despite having a few disappointing teams in Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Iowa State, have been one of the best well-rounded conferences. Now, the SEC, they're going to always be one of the better ones. You've got Alabama. You've got LSU. You've got Georgia. But it's hard to say the Big 12 is not 1B to the SEC's 1A or vice versa. So, anyway, I don't want to be too controversial. You know, I don't want to, you know, start any arguments or anything. But, anyways, y'all, uh, the next game that I do want to talk about in our noon slate and kind of the shocking game that I was talking about in the SEC and that was Anthony Richardson and the Florida Gators going up to Nashville to take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Now, <laughs> just just get just give me a little bit because uh, Anthony Richardson he he passed for a lot of yards in this game, 400 yards passing, three touchdowns and one interception. Completion completion percentage is not the greatest, 25 for uh, 42. But I don't really think a lot of the game needs to be blamed on him. Florida, they were never able to really run the football that well in this game at all. They were able to throw the football really well. They had two wide receivers who put up 100-plus yards receiving each, uh, Shorter and Reynolds. Reynolds was able to have 165 yards receiving and two touchdowns, which, I mean, hey, that always helps. But a lot of credit needs to be, needs to be given to Vanderbilt because they were able to run the football pretty darn well. Uh, you know, Mike Wright, their starting quarterback, who's been a really – I mean, average quarterback. I'm not going to say he's been anything amazing, but he's been a very average quarterback for the Commodores, which I think for Van Vanderbilt terms is like elite. 
But um, he would go 10 for 16, 108 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. Not bad whatsoever. And then Vanderbilt, their running back, Davis, he would have 30 carries for 122 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. But still, those three touchdowns through the air would be definitely a huge boost of momentum. But the Vanderbilt defense, which would step up immensely in this game, they would be able to have two fumble recoveries on the day, which was huge. They also had two sacks as well. And I think their defense deserves a lot of credit for this win as well because they also were able to get a pick off of Anthony Richardson. As Vanderbilt, they would be able to pull off the upset win against the Florida Gators, who I thought probably would have won this game. As Vanderbilt, they now improved to 5-6 and six, are only one game away to making bowl eligibility. Um, eligibility. Eligibility. Now, their final game is going to be against Tennessee at home, which I hate to say it. I really, really do. But Vanderbilt fans, you likely will not win that game. It's just let's just be realistic. You did beat Florida, which all power to you. We saw what Florida did to A&M a week ago in college in College Station. But I mean, once again, the likelihood of them beating Tennessee, uh, beating Tennessee in Nashville is pretty much slim to none. But anyway, Vanderbilt, enjoy this win. You're gonna have one of your better records you've had in the past decade as they're going to beat the Florida Gators, 31 to 24. As Florida, they now fall to six and five. I don't really expect anybody to really hate on Billy Napier or anything like that. We've seen what he's been able to do in the recruiting world. He flipped the former five-star Miami uh, commit, Jaden Rashada, over to Florida, which is huge if you're able to get an in-state flip. And then also he's getting crystal balled for a lot of other four- and five-star recruits. So the future is very bright in Florida. Obviously, if you're a Gators fan, do not expect it to be an instant you know, instant turnover. It's going to take about another year or two. You'll be able to get back into potential, you know, national championship contention. But I say the best thing is if when y'all do start playing pretty solid, keep the expectations low. You know, don't do what Texas fans have done with Steve Sarkeesian. I know he had all this talent and everything like that. But, I mean, at the same time, anyway, I don't, I don't want to get into all that. But, anyway, Vanderbilt, they would pull off one of the most, uh, you know, shocking upsets of the day, getting a win against Florida up in Nashville. Now, y'all, the next afternoon game that we're going to be talking about here on the Cover 7 podcast, we're going to be going over to Rutgers as we had the 11th-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions taking on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Penn State, they were able to handle business pretty darn well as Penn State and their running back duo, a freshman duo of Allen and Nick Singleton. They were able to put up some pretty solid numbers. Uh, Allen was able to put up 11 carries for 117 yards rushing and one touchdown. Nick Singleton, he was able to get nine carries for 62 rushing yards on the day. Sean Clifford would have added a rushing touchdown as well as on the day. Penn State would have three total rushing touchdowns, only one passing touchdown, but the defense played completely lights out in this game for the Nittany Lions, getting two fumble recoveries. They were able to get um, 15 tackles for loss. I was making sure I read that right. 15 tackles for loss, four sacks on the day. And, I mean, it, it, it was really one of those really solid performances by the Penn State uh, defense. And then also Nick Singleton, like I talked about, the freshman stud at running back, potentially going to be one of the next future great running backs to come out of Penn State. He would also have a 100-yard kick return touchdown. So that definitely didn't hurt as well as Penn State would go on to roll Rutgers 55-10. to As Penn State, they now improve to 9-2 and on the year. And Rutgers, they now fall to 4-7 and and are now deemed not eligible to make a bowl game. So for Greg Schiano and all those guys, unfortunately, you will not be going bowling this year. So <laughs> my bad. I, you know, all, all you guys out there, I, lo I love all you Rutgers guys. I love Greg Schiano and everything he does. But, I mean, I just had to 
had a, had to add a little bit of insult to injury. So anyway, y'all, the next game we're going to talk about, we're going to go back to the ACC as we had the Louisiana Raging Cajuns going down to Tallahassee to take on the 19th-ranked Florida State Seminoles. Um, as you can probably all imagine, Florida State, they were able to pretty much control this game from start to finish. And, you know, it definitely didn't help either that they were also able to put up four sacks of their own, get six tackles for loss. Jordan Travis didn't do anything crazy in this game. You know, 9 for 14, 112 yards passing and one touchdown. Uh, Florida State, they were able to play four different quarterbacks in this game. Uh, Rotomaker, Duffy, and English. So, I mean, hey. They were able to play pretty much their whole quarterback rotation. Um, uh, Rushing-wise, Trey Benson continues to be one of the better transfers so far, the former Oregon Duck running back, as he'd have 16 carries for 80 yards rushing and one touchdown. Jordan Travis, he wouldn't get anything crazy rushing yards-wise, only 38, but also be able to put up two rushing touchdowns of his own. As Florida State on the day would have five total rushing touchdowns and then two total uh, two total receiving touchdowns on the day. I'm so sorry. I cannot talk one bit. As Florida State would go on to roll Louisiana at home, 49 to 17. As Florida State, they now improve to eight and three on the year, and the, and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they now fall to five and six. And you know they've got to win this final game, which will be at Texas State down in San Marcos. So I might I might actually check in on that game just to see if you know Louisiana, who they lost their head coach Billy Napier to the Florida Gators, they're currently rebuilding as well in the uh, group of five. So. Be interesting to see definitely how that final game against Texas State will go for the Raging Cajuns. So, anyways, y'all, the next game that I want to talk about, and once again, one of the more stunning upsets that we did have because we did have a few upsets today. Um, we had the Navy Midshipmen going down to the bounce house in Orlando to take on the 20th ranked UCF Golden Knights. Now, I did not watch this game like crazy, but I'm guessing John Rice Plumley he got injured once again, which is never good, as John Rice Plumley would uh, go 11 for 18, 107 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. Now, I'm, now I might be completely wrong. I just personally did not watch this game because I was at the um, the uh, Baylor and TCU game. But um, in would come in Micah Keen, uh, Micah Keen, who was supposed to originally be the starting quarterback before John Rice Plumley transferred over from Ole Miss, but he would. Definitely not look that great. 8 for 15, 123 yards passing with one touchdown. And y'all are going to actually cry laughing when I tell you this. Because Navy, not only did they upset UCF at home, they upset UCF at home without even completing a single pass in this game. And you heard me right. Because Navy, they ran the ball for 248 yards total and two rushing touchdowns and didn't have a single passing yard on the day. Just let that sit in. Just, just, let's just take a second, real quick, okay? The SMU Mustangs, who went into Orlando too, mind you, were able to throw the football. You know, one of the best throwing teams in all of the country. We saw what they did against Houston. We saw what they didn't do against uh, Tulane here a couple days ago. They weren't even able to put up. I think they were able to put up 14 points, right? But they threw the football an immense amount and still ran the football an immense amount. You know, Navy, who still runs the option, was able to beat and upset one of the best group of five teams at home in a game that I personally do not think should have even been close. I think UCF should have easily won this game. I mean, they are too dang talented to be even competing against a team like Navy. But Navy, the grit and gut of the Navy, 
They were able to pull out a win here as Navy would get a 17-14 win over the Knights of UCF. As Navy, they now improved to 4-7. and seven. I mean, they already were out of bowl contention, so they just wanted to play spoiler to potentially UCF going to the AAC Championship, which just got a little bit more confusing because I, I, I'm not going to look at all the rankings and all that, but I know definitely right now you've got Cincinnati, UCF, and Tulane who are all competing for a spot in the AAC Championship. So UCF likely are going to drop out of the top 25 after taking this loss to Navy, which it's unfortunate. I still think they're a super talented team, but when you lose a game to a team that still runs the option in 2022, you, you probably do not deserve to be in the top 25. So nothing against UCF. I personally like them. Everybody that listens to the podcast, y'all know I'm a big supporter of UCF. I personally love what Gus Malzahn's doing down there in Orlando. But, man, this was a game that y'all should have easily won, and they got caught sleeping. They're too prepared, worrying about, you know, the ACC championship game, you know, because they're probably thinking they're going to make it automatically. Navy's going to be a breeze. I didn't look to see who their final game of the year was, but, you know, they had a really easy rest of their schedule. So, well, it came to bite them and potentially could cost them, you know, a chance to go to the AAC championship because I know Tulane, they're at 9-2, and two, and then also with Cincinnati, they're at 9-2, and two, and I don't – I don't know exactly how the whole American Athletic Conference works in divisions. Now, I still think it's just rankings, which if that's the case, UCF will currently probably be a third, which means they will miss out on the AAC championship. So something that I know UCF probably did not even imagine happening. So definitely not something you want if you are a Knight fan. So anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to go over to South Bend, Indiana, as we have the Notre Dame Fighting Irish who have just been on a hot spree here recently. I mean, they have... They've been looking pretty good as uh, they're taking on the Boston College Eagles. And, well, for Boston College, they got a really good win against NC State last week, who I don't know how they won, even with NC State having their backup quarterback. I was shocked that Boston College won that game. And, you know, now they're going to South Bend, in which I said Notre Dame was probably going to blow the brakes off of them because Notre Dame, they have a good run game. And, well, guess what Notre Dame did really good? It was a snowy, and I mean a snowy game. You know, it was going to obviously be run the football, run the football, run the football. Notre Dame ran the football, ran the football, and ran the football. As Logan Diggs, the sophomore running back for the uh, the Fighting Irish, he would have an amazing game against the Boston College Eagles, having 15 uh, carries for 122 yards rushing and one touchdown. And that's not even the best part because they literally were able to get everybody involved in the rushing game as um, S-Time who I think has been a really great one-two combo with Diggs. He would have 11 carries for 71 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well. Chris Tyree, who kind of is, you know, kind of sunken due to the fact that S-Time has kind of emerged, and then you also have Logan Diggs as well. He would have six carries for 50 yards rushing and one touchdown. Drew Pine, who just in this game did not need to make any mistakes, don't throw an interception, don't fumble the football, just make the, make the small throws, you know, play smart football, and that's exactly what he did. 13 for 25, 156 yards passing with one touchdown. As Notre Dame, they would go they would go on to shut out and beat the Boston College Eagles 44 to 0 at home. As Notre Dame, they now improved to 8 and 3 and have really they've really revitalized their schedule or their not their schedule. They've really revitalized their their year. I know a lot of people gave up on Marcus Freeman. I personally didn't understand that one bit because I mean, if you saw how that team is always kind of bonded around them, you'd be scratching your head the same way that I was. It was going to take time. Notre Dame's got an incredible recruiting class coming in next year. You know, top 10 in the nation. 
I mean, Notre Dame is going to be fine. Now, does that mean they're going to immediately compete for national championships? Heck no. I still think they might need another year or two. But are they super close? Absolutely. And I think Marcus Freeman is going to be the guy for them. No offense to Brian Kelly, but we just – anywho. <laughs> but anyway, Boston College, they now dropped to 3-8 and eight after they were supposed to be one of the best teams in the ACC this year. And they have just completely, and I mean utterly and completely, have stunk the entire year. So – not exactly something you want out of the Boston College Eagles. So, anyways, y'all, let's now get over to the SECs. We're starting to wrap up our noon slate of games. I didn't even realize how long I've actually been talking for because now I look over at the recording and it says only and it says almost 50, 50 minutes. I'm like, dang, I gotta start being a little bit quicker. So I promise y'all I won't take up too too much of y'all's time. But the next game we're gonna talk about, we're gonna go over to the SEC as we had the UMass Minutemen, who currently were sitting at one and nine going into this game. Taking on the three and seven at the time, Texas A&M Aggies, and well, you know, just to just kind of set the tone of this game, this was Texas A&M Senior Day, and you're like, oh, okay, it's their final home game of the year. This isn't even their final home game of the year. They play at home against LSU next week, which put two and two together. There's probably a lot of reasons why. Um, it also was downpour of rain. It was cold as heck. I mean, just it was some really sloppy conditions to begin with but this game was just so horrendous to watch I watched the highlights and oh my goodness the fact that UMass a 1-9 team who has no reason to compete against A&M A&M talent wise should probably put up almost dang near 100 points against this team it was it was 10-3 at halftime in A&M's favor 10-3 a school that had the number one recruiting class of all time last year barely could put up 10 points against one of the worst FBF, FBS teams in all of college football. Just, I mean, heck, you could probably say one of the worst, one of the worst football teams in all of D1 football. That town, FCS, HBCUs, you know, at whatever level of D1 football, UMass is probably near the bottom. And the fact that A&M, a school that has spent so much money whether they admit it or not to build that program build that roster build facilities go get a head coach and Jimbo Fisher and they're barely were able to beat the UMass Minutemen in this game um and them they would go on to beat them 20 to 3 I mean if I think if they lost to UMass the world might have erupted uh Connor Wigman had probably one of the most hilarious failed passes we've ever seen I mean he literally was trying to throw the football. The ball pretty much slipped out of his hand mid-motion. And just it, it was a really – just did not look good. And it pretty much summed up all of A&M's season this year. Uh, Statistically-wise, didn't play horrible. 11 for 19, 191 yards passing with one touchdown. They were, gonna, they were not going to throw the football a lot considering how wet and damp it was. Um, you know, A&M also did not have Devon A-Chain in this game who's still dealing with an injury. So they would actually tr turn to their freshman running back, uh, Le'Veon Moss, who would have 12, uh, 12 carries for 70 yards rushing and would actually get his first career touchdown. So congratulations, congratulations to him. And that would really be it for offense. I mean, both sides of the football, as UMass, as we all saw from the final score, only able to get a field goal. A&M, they would they'd get two touchdowns in this game, one rushing and then one receiving. And that was it. That was completely pretty much how this game went. A&M, I think they have a lot of really good pieces on defense, and obviously it's something they can continue to build on. But the offense is going to be the biggest worry of concern going to next year for the A&M Aggies. 
Now, a they did get the win 20-3 as they're going to have a huge, and I mean huge, contest against LSU next weekend down there in College Station. I think it'll be a pretty, pretty entertaining game. I mean, we saw how LSU did against uh, Arkansas up there in Fayetteville. I know both of these teams are two different teams, but at the same time, Arkansas lost to A&M. You can start doing all those weird little, well, he beat him. He also beat him. Yada, yada means he's better than them, whatever. But it's definitely going to make for a pretty good matchup next week down in College Station. Now, guys, let me look real quick for the rest of the noon games that we did have because I know today we had a decent, I mean, a decent amount of games we had going on. Um, yeah, I think that's really, really going to wrap it up. I think that was all that we really had for our noon slate, you know, most noteworthy games that I wanted to talk about. So now let's get over to our midday slate of games. And the first one I want to talk about, we're going to go up to Lawrence, Kansas. We're going to get, we're going to uh, go back to the uh, the Big 12, Texas A&M's former conference, as we had Quinn Ewers and the Texas Longhorns, who are coming off arguably one of the worst offensive performances in Big 12 history last week against TCU, which TCU give them the credits they deserve. And maybe it's a little biased coming from me because I'm a TCU fan. They were able to pretty much contain Quinn Ewers and Bijan Robinson to sardines and crackers in terms of statistics. So it, it was, I would say, a pretty good game for TCU. Bad game for Texas. However, their defense played really well last week against TCU's offense, only allowing 17 points the whole game, which is pretty darn good if you're able to stop Max Duggan and that high-powering offense. Uh, they're going, and they were going up against Kansas, who. As we all know, had that miraculous win down in Austin last year. You know, got, were able to get that fullback that scored that two-point conversion. He was able to get an Applebee's commercial. I mean, it went completely viral. And you can tell Texas, they had this game circled for a long time. And especially, I think, Bijan Robinson had this game circled for a long time. Because Bijan Robinson, and I say this a lot about, a lot, you know, whether it's the NFL or in college football, Bijan Robinson literally had his best career game today as he would have 25 carries for 243 yards running or rushing and four touchdowns on the day. Now, rushing yards and touchdown totals were two of his career highs. And, you know, to make it even better, on top of Bijan Robinson, his enormous day, they also had another 100-plus rushing, uh, rushing yard back in Jonathan Brooks, who was able to have 11 rushing attempts for 108 yards rushing and two touchdowns. He's a freshman running back, which I know a lot of Texas fans are pretty high on, so the future is definitely looking bright for the Longhorns. Quinn Ewers didn't do anything crazy, 12 for 21, 107 yards uh, passing with one touchdown, but when you have a guy like Bijan Robinson and even Jonathan Brooks who were able to run the ball so effectively, I mean... I mean, why do you need to throw the football necessarily? I mean, they're going to have a big game next week down in Austin for senior day against um, against Baylor. But the Texas defense, which continues to step up, and I really think they deserve definitely a lot of credit for what they've been able to do. I mean, they're definitely approaching Iowa State as one of the top defenses in the Big 12. Laugh all you want, but definitely these past few weeks they have stepped up immensely as they would get five sacks in this game, and they were able to contain Jalen uh, Jaden, yeah, Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean, who Jason Bean wouldn't even really play in this game. I think he suffered an injury. I hope everything's okay with him. So Jalen Daniels, who was a Heisman front runner to start the year, which is, if we all remember when Kansas State started the year six and zero, you know that miraculous start to the year, and obviously they they haven't won a game since that point. Which I can say my TCU Horn Frogs are probably the main cause of that because they handed them their first loss, but. Anyway, Jaden Daniels in his first game back would go 17 for 26, 230 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. But the biggest thing that Texas did really good on defense was containing Kansas's running back, Devin Neal, because we all saw what Devin Neal did 
against um damn, who who did what what team was that he did it against? Oh, my mind went blank. I think it was against I want to say West Virginia. West Virginia where he absolutely went just completely off, you know, 200 yards rushing, 100 yards receiving and well, Texas didn't allow him to really do anything whatsoever in this game as Texas would go on to blow out the Jayhawks up there in Lawrence. 55-14 to as Texas. They improved to 7-4 and before they wrap up the year next week or wrap up regular season next week against the Baylor Bears at home. And then for Kansas, they now drop their fifth straight game as they now fall to 6-5 and on the year after starting the year 6-0. and So, I mean, personally, I feel bad for Kansas because I really wish they would have been able to have this miraculous season and been able to do all these amazing things and yada 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 but unfortunately it's just how college football rolls and you know Kansas they had to get brought back to reality just a tad bit so anyways y'all the next game we're going to talk about we're going to go back to the ACC and what I expected to be probably one of the bigger blowout games of the weekend and it was definitely that we had the Miami Hurricanes who still have not been able to find a solid quarterback I know last week they went with true freshman quarterback um was his name? Ja'Curry Brown. And, you know, he looked really good against Georgia Tech. Got him to a win. They needed a really good bounce back win, especially after losing, you know, to Duke a few weeks ago, losing the week prior to um, uh, Florida State, which they got completely blown out. So going into this game against Clemson, I think everybody knew Clemson won, and obviously they did. Um, DJ Ugalele showed a lot more improvement in this game, going 22 for 34, 227 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. I mean, hey, compared to how a lot of his other games have been, you can, you're really going to want this. And also, too, he's able to get it done on the ground, which you know he was not able to do during last year because he had a lot more weight on him. But like we always heard from ESPN, who love to talk about DJ Ugalele's weight loss, he was able to run the ball pretty effectively, 17 carries for 89 yards rushing and one touchdown as he would lead the Tigers in rushing yards. Will Shipley would also get 61 rushing yards of his own with one touchdown as well. As Clemson, they would go on to blow out the Miami Hurricanes 42-10 at home as Clemson, they now improved to 10-1 on the year. And Miami, they now fall to 5-6 and six in their final game next week, which, let me look at their schedule real quick, they will be taking on Pitt at home, which... No offense, I think Pitt, they're going to have a field day against Miami. So Miami fans, in the first year under Mario Cristobal, y'all gonna y'all are going to be looking to go uh, sitting at home. You're not going to make a ball game. You just just face the fact you will not be making a ball game. It just, <laughs> I just, it's crazy to think that. I mean, and also at the same time, a lot of these players are not Mario Cristobal's players. You know, these are all, a lot of them are Manny Diaz's players. So, once Mario Cristobal gets all of his guys over, I know obviously losing Jaden Rashada to in-state rival Florida was detrimentally bad because he was supposed to be the quarterback of the future for that team. But maybe Mario Cristobal sees something in Ja'Curry Brown and maybe they're able to get things going, develop him properly. I know that's what they wanted originally in Jake Garcia. Obviously, after watching that Duke game, I think we can all agree Jake Garcia is not going to be the future at quarterback for the Miami Hurricanes. I mean, eight, eight total turnovers on the day. Is just not great. I mean, obviously the situation's not great in general, but I mean, hey, hopefully Miami they get things figured out and they can really get back to their winning ways because I think that's all you know for the most part that's all something that we really do want. So, anyways, y'all, we're gonna go right back to the SEC as we had number one Georgia taking on Kentucky at Kroger Field. Now this game was not a lot of offense on both sides. Will Levis his struggles continued, going 20 for 31, 206 yards passing with one touchdown, one interception. 
I think he is quickly falling off a lot of draft boards, and I could have told you this at the beginning of the year. I could have told you this even during the 2021 campaign when they were doing really good. You know, he's a great, he's a good quarterback. He's got great attributes. You know, he's got the arm. You know, he's got the running capability and everything like that. But he's just not a Josh Allen as quarterback. And I know that's what everyone compares him to. They think, oh, he's got, you know, the potential makings of Josh Allen. He's not going to be the next Josh Allen. Just accept the fact. And, you know, on the flip side for Georgia, Stetson Bennett, who it's kind of weird saying is having a down year. Uh, he'd, he'd go 13 for 19, 116 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. Not the best day for the mailman, but, I mean, luckily enough, his running back, Kenny McIntosh, was able to get it going for him with 19 carries for 143 yards rushing and one touchdown. And Kenny would really be the MVP offensively in this game because outside of him, there really would not be a lot going on as Georgia, they would be able to beat Kentucky up there in Lexington, 16-6 to as Georgia. They remain undefeated and will likely remain at number one as they improve to 11-0 on the year. And Kentucky, they now fall to 6-5 and after being in the top 25 for pretty much most of the year, as well as having Will Levis, who was supposed to be a you know first-round guaranteed pick. Likely now his draft stock has unfortunately fallen pretty much slim to none. Now, guys, for our next game, we're going to go over to the Big Ten, as we had, in my opinion, one of the more shocking close games. You know, I talked a lot about how there was a ton of close games this week, and this was one of them, as we had the second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes going over to Maryland to take on the Maryland Terps. And this game was really close. I mean, after three quarters, you know, the score was only, uh, let me do my math real quick in my head, 27-13. to 13. But Maryland, they would have a really good fourth quarter. They would actually be up 33-30 to 30 at one point. And then Ohio State, you know, they were able to close things out as they would get a 43-30 to win over the uh, Maryland Terps. Or, sorry, Ohio State was up 33-30 to over Maryland. But uh, C.J. Stroud, not his best game. 18 for 30, 241 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. I really, I, it's really hard for me to say who I think is a clear-cut Heisman candidate right now because we'll talk a little bit about Tennessee's game they had against South Carolina. Um... I really can't just give you a guaranteed, you know, who's going to win Heisman. You could say, obviously, C.J. Stroud because he plays at Ohio State. That's definitely going to boost him up a little bit. You know, you could still say Blake Corm, Hendon Hooker, all these guys. I don't really know. I think it's going to depend on how the year finishes off next week, especially, you know, conference championship week. That's definitely going to be a big one. But um, anyway, you know, also Ohio State, you know, they also have really prided themselves on being able to run the football as well as they do throwing the football. And, well, Freshman running back Dalen Hayden, he did exactly that in this game as he would have 27 rushing attempts for 146 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Pretty solid day for the true freshman out of Memphis. And then for Maryland, uh, Maryland, Maryland, for Maryland, uh, Talia Tagovailoa, he looked pretty good. And I won't lie, 26 for 36, 293 yards passing with two touchdowns, zero interceptions. In case you're wondering why the name sounds familiar, that is because he is the younger brother of current Miami Dolphins quarterback, to attack of Iloa, and also Talia also spent some time at Alabama before transferring to Maryland. Um, but outside of that, Maryland, we're not, we're not able to get a we're not able to get a lot done offensively. Their defense didn't really play horrifically bad, but obviously Ohio State they are the more well-rounded team. They're better offensively. They're better defensively. What Jim Knowles has been able to do for that team it just really does not immense I guess you could say as much to a stat sheet or box score or whatever 
I mean, Ohio State, they had five sacks on the day, eight tackles for loss. I mean, they played really well. But um, they kept Maryland in it way too close. The game was way too close throughout, which would kind of seem to be a very common theme throughout this week, especially in here in Week 12. So, But anyway, Ohio State, they would be able to get a 43-30 win over the Maryland Terps as they now continue to remain undefeated as they're going to be going back home for the greatest rivalry in all of college football against Michigan as we will have a battle of the unbeatens. And that game definitely should be good. I'm hoping it's not going to be a Fox Big Noon kickoff or whatever. I'm hoping it's going to be a primetime game. Uh, I'm going to be at the TCU-Iowa State game, so hopefully I'll be able to watch it, whether it's highlight-wise or whatnot, because that that should definitely be a big game. But, you know, if Michigan doesn't have Blake Corm, I mean, man, this game might get pretty one-sided. I'm just I'm just saying because I'm not saying that, you know, Blake Corm is their only source of offense for Michigan, so all you Michigan fans could chill out. But I'd be lying to you if I said not having a guy like Blake Corm would definitely not be concerning in terms of if you're playing in a very hostile environment and you're going to be missing your Heisman hopeful running back. So anyway, Ohio State, they are able to get the win over the uh, Maryland Terps. Now, guys, for our next game, we had the 15th ranked Kansas State Wildcats taking on the West Virginia Mountaineers up in Morgantown. Um, Kansas State. They continue to dominate offensively. Will Howard, 19 for 27, 294 yards passing with two touchdowns and one pick. Deuce Vaughn, 22 carries for 67 yards rushing and one touchdown. Uh, Malik Knowles, six receptions for 111 yards receiving and one touchdown. So overall, Kansas State, they continue to have a pretty well-balanced offense. Uh, let me look through all the stats. Uh, they were also able to get four tackles for losses and three sacks on the day. And then for West Virginia, you know, in this game, they decided to go with Garrett Green as their starting quarterback. JT Daniels was not getting things done. They benched him last week against Oklahoma, in which Garrett Green would lead them to a comeback win against Oklahoma. And, well, Garrett Green in this game, and it's, I think this is his first career start or maybe second, I can't remember exactly, he would go 15 for 27, 204 yards passing with three touchdowns. He got three touchdowns, but also would throw two interceptions on the day as West Virginia. Offensively, it was not their worst you know, whatsoever, 216 total receiving yards, and also had 150, uh, 153 rushing yards as well. But Kansas State, they continue to dominate and are likely, lo and they're likely looking to be heading to the Big 12 championship to take on TCU in a rematch that I know they have been really marking down on their calendar because obviously we know how things went down in Fort Worth and I think if this is the matchup in the Big 12 championship this should be a pretty good game you know especially you know with how Will Howard's been able to control this offense for you know the Wildcats at Kansas State and also seeing just the toughness TCU's had you know the resilience late in games to be able to come back so that should be a great pretty, pretty good matchup as Kansas State they get a great road win against the West Virginia Mountaineers and um yeah, so anyways, y'all, the next game I want to talk about, and this was and this in my opinion was the biggest upset really of the weekend. And I only say this because of just how lopsided these two teams are in terms of talent wise, as we had the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets going up to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to take on Drake May, the Heisman Hopeful quarterback, taking on the thirteenth ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. Now Drake May, as we all know, probably one of the best statistic machines that we have seen probably since, I would say, Joe Burrow or, heck, even Bailey Zappi, you know, here a few years ago with the Western Kentucky Wild, Wildcats, Hilltoppers. Has Drake May on the year 3,400 total passing yards, 34 passing touchdowns on only three interceptions. I mean, it's a crazy stat line for a guy that is a true freshman. 
Um, but in this game against Georgia Tech, he definitely had his own individual struggles, going 16 for 30, 202 yards uh, passing. Didn't even get a touchdown, which kind of feels weird because normally he's averaging between three to five touchdowns a game. He would throw one interception as well. And Georgia Tech, you know, with their backup quarterback, Zach Gibson, they don't have Jeff Sims, who's out with an injury, I think, or they may have just benched him. I don't really know. That quarterback situation is so confusing down there in Georgia Tech. But, um, Georgia Tech, they're able to pull off a great road win against the North Carolina Tar Heels. In my opinion, the biggest upset of the weekend as they would beat North Carolina 21-17. But a lot of credit doesn't necessarily need to be given to the Georgia Tech offense. A lot of it needs to be given to their defense, which was able, which was able to contain Drake May. I mean, heck, you know, despite the offense, which fumbled the ball three times, mind you, on offense for Georgia Tech. I know North Carolina didn't recover it, but still having three fumbles is always immense. But Georgia Tech, they were able to get to the quarterback. Six sacks on the day, 12 tackles for losses. I mean, they just did not allow Drake May to continue to get all that time that he wanted. And, well, it showed definitely in the final score and even on here on the box or the box score as well. So Georgia Tech, they get a huge road win and definitely something to keep, you know, going into next week's matchup against the Georgia Bulldogs. As Georgia Tech, they beat North Carolina 21-17. to As North Carolina, they likely have no chance now at making the national championship. And Drake May, pretty much his Heisman, his Heisman campaign has pretty much been kissed goodbye at this point. He's got a bright future ahead of him. I mean, seriously, I still think he probably will be a Heisman candidate for next year. Just because, you know, surely the statistics he'll put up and also, you know, if Mac Brown and North Carolina are able to get, you know, continue to keep putting talent around them. We see it with Josh Downs, who's been really good. They're able to kind of get a dual-headed running back duo like they had with Michael Carter and Javante Williams, you know, with Sam Howell. This North Carolina team could be pretty good, but the biggest thing they need to worry about is fixing that defense because, my Lord, that's going to be the downfall of this North Carolina Tar Heel football team. So, <laughs> but... But um, anyways, y'all, the next game that I do want to talk about here in our midday slate of games. Let me scroll down real quick. Let's get all let's get out to our uh, uh, our fine and dandy schedule that we've got going on. Oh, let's go to okay. We're gonna stay in the ACC as we had the Duke Blue Devils taking on the Pitt Panthers. Now, I don't remember. I think I predicted this game. I think I said that I had. I think I don't know if I had Pitt or Duke. Y'all can correct me if you want, but. Either way, I knew that both these teams are really good at running the football. Obviously, Pittsburgh has one of the more underrated running backs in the nation in Israel, Abanacanda. And then Duke, you know, with their quarterback, Riley Leonard, who's really emerged as one of the top quarterbacks right now in terms of uh, ACC quarterback play. And, well, Pittsburgh, they were able to run the football all over this Duke team. Israel, Abanacanda, 17 carries for 113 yards rushing and one touchdown. And despite Keaton Slovis, the former USC quarterback, struggling immensely in this game, going 15 for 32, 190 yards passing with one touchdown and two interceptions, that's all Pittsburgh would need really would be the simple fact that their defense was able to step up, didn't allow Riley Leonard to get everything that he wanted on the ground. I mean, he only had minus four rushing yards on the day. Uh, he was able to throw the football not as effective as he wanted, 24 for 45, but did have 290 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. As Pitt, they'd be able to pull off a huge home win against the Duke Blue Devils, 28-26, to which is weird to say, but, I mean, Mike Elko, the former Texas A&M def defensive coordinator, 
he deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do in year one with Duke. And honestly, if he's able to recruit pretty well, I think we might see Duke potentially start to become more of a threat in the ACC than we've seen the past few years. And then for Pitt, they get a great win. They improved to 7-4. and four And I mean, just kind of some momentum they can take, you know, going into bowl season here in a few weeks. So, anyways, y'all, that'll pretty much wrap up our uh, midday slate of games. You know, not a crazy amount, anything like that, but we did have a few pretty good games. But now let's get to our night slate of games. And, well, this was definitely, in my opinion, probably the most entertaining slate of games that we had all, you know, all day you know we had USC and UCLA we had Oklahoma State and Oklahoma in the Bedlam rivalry we had Oregon and Utah you know so many great matchups but the first matchup that I do want to talk about to kick off our uh, evening slate of games is going to be what I truly should have said is the upset of the day now I did not mean to say that Georgia Tech and UNC was the biggest upset of the day I think it had a lot more implications necessarily than like example for the SEC which the SEC uh you know the uh, title game is already set. You already have LSU, you have Georgia. I only meant it in terms of the fact that the ACC is kind of still up in the air in terms of outside of Clemson. But um, but anyway, so in this game between the fifth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers taking on the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks, Spencer Rattley finally – Spencer Rattler, not Rattley. Spencer Rattler finally showed all the potential that we saw in him coming out of Pinnacle High School in Arizona – you know, after a rough couple years in, you know, Oklahoma, in which he had a lot of trials and tribulations, you know, had to sit behind Jalen Hurts, you know, when he got his opportunity, didn't look amazing by any means, you know, had all that crazy Heisman, you know, watch list stuff, and he was expected to be able to go up to a level that I don't think he was ready to get up to, and then once Caleb Williams took over, transferred out of Oklahoma, went to South Carolina, had a rough start to the year. A lot of us, including myself, thought, okay, you know, this kid's career is over with. Like, he's not going to be able to make anything out of it. And, well, he definitely made something out of it on the biggest stage against one of the best teams in the whole nation. He would go for a career-best 30-for-37, 438 yards passing with six touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, just what a game by Spencer Rattler. I'm so happy for him. I know he's definitely one of the more cocky guys, but seriously, after all the stuff he's been through these past few years, I'm really happy for him that he's been, that he was able to have a game like this. And, I mean, once again, you got to give a lot of credit to the offensive line because they allowed for him to be able to have time in the pocket to be able to throw the football. And, I mean, just what a game by Spencer Rattler and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, Wells Jr. for the South Carolina Gamecocks. He would have himself a pretty good game, having 11 receptions for 177 yards receiving. I mean, South Carolina offensively just could do anything they wanted against Tennessee's defense. You know what I'm saying? Like, Tennessee defensively had no answer for Spencer Rattler in this game. As Spencer Rattler would have six, obviously six uh, passing touchdowns in this game. But South Carolina would also add three rushing touchdowns, which would give them a total of 63 points in this game. 63 points. So for all you Tennessee fans that keep mocking at TCU about being in the top four, just please, I mean, okay, I'm not going to keep bringing back up TCU and everything, but this is just the main example of, you know, we're on the road. You're you're on the road against a 6-4 and four opponent. TCU is on the road against a 6-4 and four opponent. I know Waco is not the same environment as Columbia, obviously, but at the same time, you're supposed to be so, 10 times better than us then why did you get blown out by double the amount of points? I mean, heck, even 10 times the amount of points we did. So, But anyway, and, you know, for Tennessee, 
really rough night like I talked about defensively. They just had no answer for the past game of South Carolina. Hendon Hooker played pretty good, but unfortunately would go down with a knee injury. It's not. It was a non-contact injury. Unfortunately, it does look like it might be an ACL, which would keep him out for the rest of the year, which I just absolutely hate to hear because he was on his way to potentially winning a Heisman Trophy. So hopefully everything is okay with him. We don't know anything official yet, but hopefully nothing is wrong with his knee and he does not have a torn ACL. But Hendon Hooker on the night would go 25 for 42, 247 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. So the offense of Tennessee was not necessarily horrible in this game. I mean, they put up 38 points. Just the defense could not get the stops they needed. And that really killed Tennessee in this game because no matter what points they put up, and you know, also Jalen uh, Jalen Hyatt, who I felt was a Blenikoff kind of front runner, and I still think he pretty much is. I mean, he had six receptions for 65 yards receiving in this game. Didn't get a TD, but I still think he definitely deserves to be kind of at the top of the list when it comes to Blenikoff finalists. You know, you got guys like obviously Jalen Hyatt. You've got guys like um, Quentin Johnston. You've got guys like Rasheed Rice over at SMU. You know, just guys like that. Um, I know there's probably a few more names that I'm completely missing out on, and I know y'all are going to absolutely complain to me about it, so I apologize for anybody out there that I did not mention. I'm just thinking of names off the top of my head. But um, but anyway, so Tennessee, just overall really rough night. This was definitely not their game. They were debuting those new uh, orange helmets, which I think after this game they may not wear ever again. So, <laughs> But anyway, South Carolina, they'd get the huge upset win at home against Tennessee Arguably one of the biggest upsets of the season, 63-38 to over the Tennessee Volunteers of South Carolina. They now improved to 7-4 before they go and take on DJ Ugalele and the Clemson Tigers next week to wrap up the regular season. And then for Tennessee, like I talked about early on, they're going to go on the road and take on Vanderbilt, a game which I full-heartedly believe you know, they will have the former Michigan quarterback Joe Milton now as their starter. I think they should be okay, but the biggest concern is going to be, you know, going into bowl season, especially if you don't have Hendon Hooker, the offense isn't connected in the same way it's done, and especially if the defense continues to play the way it, I mean, it has. I mean, whatever your offense does really won't even matter because you miss one or two possessions in a game, and considering how bad their defense was, it's pretty much going to be game over at that point. So, But anyway, South Carolina and obviously Spencer Rattler with his best career game so far in college football. Just super happy for the kid, man. I mean, it, it's really good to see him finally be able to succeed and be able to finally get that true breakout game over at South Carolina after. I know he got a lot of criticism, especially when he left Oklahoma and then decided to go over South Carolina, you know, go to the SEC, which people are like, you know, tougher conference. Why are you doing that? But, I mean, hey. It looked like it paid off for him, especially being able to ruin any chance that Tennessee had of going to the college football playoff. So, Now, for our next game, we had a statistical just crazy game in which Ole Miss put up, dang, I think about 450 total rushing yards on Arkansas, and yet they still lost in this game. So anyway, the game I'm talking about, we had the 14th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels, who have been kind of surrounded in a bunch of controversy. And it's not for doing anything illegal or anything like that. It's the fact that their head coach, Lane Kiffin, is currently being targeted to become the next head coach over at Auburn. Now, there's just rumors. It's nothing true. It's not been confirmed or anything like that, but it's just been heavily rumored that Auburn, they're pretty much almost dang near close on a deal. And, well, if you watch this game, it might be looking like almost Lane Kiffin's kind of saying, you know, sayonara, I'll see y'all, you know, next, next, you know, whenever we play.
But, um, you know, it's funny in this game because statistically Ole Miss had played a really good game on offense. You had Zach Evans, the former TCU running back and five-star running back. He had 17 carries for 207 yards rushing with one touchdown on the day. And then Quinshawn Judkins, who's the best freshman running back in all of college football right now, 24 carries for 134 yards rushing and also had himself one rushing touchdown as well. So they had a total of about 463 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns on the day. And normally if you have stats like that, you nine times out of ten are going to win that ball game. Uh, Jackson Dart didn't have his best game throwing the football, 21 for, 21 for 36, 240 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Got to give Arkansas's defense a little bit of credit in terms of the pass game. Now Jonathan Mingo or not Jonathan Mingo, my bad, Marquise Heath, he would have himself a pretty good game, nine receptions for 140 yards receiving and one touchdown. So overall, Ole Miss offensively, you know, they were statistically able to get things going, but a lot of penalties would really derail them in this game. So a lot of those big chunk plays would go away. And then for Arkansas, they also had a really good run game as well. Raheem Sanders, a.k.a. Rocket Sanders, he continued to just be an amazing back and I think one of the top backs in the SEC as he would have 24 carries for 232 yards rushing with three rushing touchdowns on the day. K.J. Jefferson, you know, didn't really do anything crazy. 17 for 22, 168 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. But, I mean, man, Arkansas played with a lot of grit and toughness, and you could tell they really wanted this game. And considering it was senior day, you know, a lot of seniors are sending off, most notably your captain over on the defensive side of the football, Bumper Pool who is not only one of the coolest names, but also is one of the best linebackers in all of college football. You know, being able to send them off with a win in their final game there in Fayetteville had to have been a great feeling, especially for Sam Pittman, as the Arkansas Razorbacks get another upset win here in Week 12 as they beat the 14th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels 42-27. to As I think the biggest thing you'll hear about is the fact that Ole Miss put up so much rushing yards, they put up so much offensive production, but yet they still lost this game, and... I mean, it really does beg the question, is this the end of the Lane, Kef Lane Kiffin era in Ole Miss, and is he going to end up going you know, to Auburn and getting the more, I guess you could say, attractable job money-wise, which I don't blame him. I mean, you want to be able to take care of your family, and rightfully so. And that's the decision he makes. That's the decision he makes, and we all need to respect it. So anyway, Arkansas, they get a great upset win over the Ole Miss Rebels as we're starting to kind of close things out. We do have a few Pac-12 games because, you know, they like to always put Pac-12 games right at literally the end, and I mean literally at the end of the day going into Sunday. But anyway, guys, we do have one Big 12 game we need to talk about before we do talk about our two Big 12, or our, not our two Big 12, before we talk about our two Big Pac-12 games. And this was the Bedlam rivalry. We had 22nd-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys who they got their starting quarterback Spencer Sanders back in this game. That had to have created some momentum. And then for Oklahoma, you know, Horrible loss on the road to West Virginia. They allowed West Virginia to come back after they brought Garrett Green into the game over JT Daniels. And, you know, definitely was a heartbreaker. Definitely was a heartbreaker if you were a Sooners fan, a game that you did not expect to lose. And now you're going up against Oklahoma State, who might be a huge reason why you kind of had that whole coaching staff get transformed. You know, you saw Lincoln Riley go to USC, Caleb Williams go to USC, Mario Williams went to USC, Latrell McCutcheon went to USC. I mean, pretty much. After that Oklahoma State loss last year, 
that was pretty much the downfall from that point on. And, you know, this game probably meant a lot more to Oklahoma Road than it meant to Oklahoma State. Now, I'm not saying it didn't mean anything to Oklahoma State because obviously the Bedlam, Bedlam rivalry is one of the more underrated game or rivalry games in all of college football. But, you know, this definitely gave Oklahoma a little bit of a chip to prove that, you know, we don't need Lincoln Riley. We don't need his system. We don't need this and that. And obviously, being 5-5 five and five on the year was something I don't think any of us thought they would be. Now, I knew year one they were not going to be national championship contenders, but 5-5 five and five and near the bottom of the Big 12 was something I know personally I did not expect either. And, you know, well in this game, Oklahoma, they came off firing. I mean, they put up 28 points in the first quarter. 28 points in the first quarter. I mean, they were able to just run and run and run the football all over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Dylan Gabriel, he looked really good in the first quarter as well as as his total yardage-wise on the day. 20 for 39, 259 yards passing, two touchdowns, and one interception. Eric Gray, who personally I like a lot, the former Tennessee running back, which I think in this game I think he was glad that he was on the winning end of at least one, not with his former squad. Um, but uh, Eric Gray would have 18 carries for 85 yards rushing in this game for one touchdown as well. And then for receiving-wise, you know, Marvin Mims Jr. has been a huge letdown this year. Huge letdown. You know, former All-American wide receiver who this was kind of a prove-it year in terms of his NFL draft stock, has not been able to prove it. And, you know, obviously in this game he was able to get some stuff going, five receptions for 68 yards receiving. But Drake Stoops, the son of former legendary Oklahoma head coach Bob Stoops, he would have six receptions for 89 yards receiving and one touchdown in this game. As Oklahoma, they would get their revenge over the Cowboys. Now, it was not a pretty final three quarters, second, third, and fourth. Because, I mean, that first quarter, they looked fantastic. But after that, just really could not get anything going offensively. But Oklahoma, they would manage after that really good first quarter. That would be all they would need. As Spencer Sanders, the starting quarterback for the Oklahoma State Cowboys, you know, in his first real game back, you know, under center after dealing with, you know, a lingering shoulder injury throughout the year. You know, he had it during the TCU game. That was pretty much what every Cowboys fan was kind of using as an excuse. But, you know, in this game, he pretty much gave the game away to Oklahoma on a literal sil silver platter as he would have four interceptions on the day. And while he would start to get things going later in the game, but it'd just be too little, too late. As Oklahoma, they would win the Bedlam rivalry, 28 to 13, getting their revenge for the whole, you know, fiasco that would go on after they had that loss up in Stillwater last year. And then for Oklahoma State, I mean, man, these past few weeks have just been rough. You know, going to Kansas, getting blown out by the Jayhawks, you know, getting shut out by Kansas State, and then now losing to your in-state rival and arguably pretty much y'all's biggest game of the year, just because there's so much. Not only say bragging rights, but there's so much that goes into this game and how much meaning it has. It's got to be a huge loss, especially for Spencer Sanders, who you can tell didn't look 100% like himself. There's something still lingering there. And while it showed, I mean, when you look statistically, 36 for 67, 381 yards passing, one touchdown and four interceptions on the night. As once again, Oklahoma, they win the 2022 Bedlam rivalry as it will be returning back to Norman, Oklahoma instead of up there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So, great win for the Oklahoma Sooners as they are now also bowl eligible. So, Brent Venables can at least say he did get bowl eligible in his first year as the head coach for the Oklahoma Sooners. So, hey, there you go, OU fans. You don't have to worry about not making a bowl game because I knew that was a huge concern, especially after seeing how this, uh, the season started for you guys. So, 
Anyways, y'all, we're starting to finally wrap things up, and our two final games that we're going to have are both Pac-12 games, but the first one I want to talk about is going to be the battle for LA as we had the 7th-ranked USC Trojans going over to the Rose Bowl to take on the 16th-ranked UCLA Bruins. Now, the game kicked off pretty interesting, you know. After the first quarter, UCLA was already up 14. DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the starting quarterback for the Bruins, he was looking pretty good, but he would also eventually suffer, I think, in the, either in the second or third quarter, he would suffer a thumb injury and that you could tell that lingered through him for the rest of this game. As on the day, DTR, he would go 23 for 38, 309 yards passing with four touchdowns, but the major costly thing in this game was the fact that he threw three interceptions, and one of those being literally the game-ending interception right on the final drive for UCLA, as they would have had, and I'm trying to remember exactly the route, but DTR had a guy coming over the middle that was completely wide open, but decided to try and fit it in that tight window, and the linebacker for USC went up and got it. In USC, they would just run out the clock from there, as they would barely survive against UCLA, 48-45, to but they would get the win in the Battle of LA. Caleb Williams put up another Heisman performance type of day, 32 for 43, 470 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interceptions. And not to mention the fact either, he didn't, I mean, he did have Jordan Addison. I completely lied about that. You know, he barely used Mario Williams in this game, one reception for 15 yards. But Jordan Addison, the 2021 Blenikoff winner and the former Pitt wide receiver, who every school in the country wanted once he hit the transfer portal, he balled out in this game and truly was Caleb Williams' number one target. 11 receptions for 178 yards receiving and one touchdown. And, you know, despite the UC, the um, USC defense giving up so much yardage, so many points, I mean, for giving up 45 points is something you never want to do. But the fact that they were able to come away with those turnovers is truly what kept them in this game. And that's why they would end up winning this game. Now, another thing with Caleb Williams, and you heard me talk about, you know, another Heisman type of performance. Well, these past few weeks, he's been putting up three, four, five, you know, touchdowns a game. And I truly think, you know, Caleb Williams needs to be considered into potentially the Heisman the Heisman Trophy, you know, discussion. Because, you know, now with Hendon Hooker probably out for the rest of the year, unfortunately, with that knee injury. Max Duggan, we all know, is never not going to win it just because of the brand. But a guy like Caleb Williams, who has the statistics to back it up, he's currently playing on a college football playoff contending team who is is already going to make the Pac-12 championship game. And it's just a really interesting scenario right now for USC. I mean, their defense has got to improve. I mean, you cannot keep allowing 45 points, especially if you are going to make the college football playoff. Because if you allow 45 points and your defense plays the way it does and you don't get turnovers... It's not going to be pretty, but at the same time, that's a big what if, but we're going to talk about what did happen, and that was the fact that USC, they were ultimately able to get those turnovers despite giving up all those points, and you know, for UCLA, got to give their offense credit. I mean, running the ball, they did really well, about 200 total yards of rushing rushing yards. Zach Charbonnet had pretty much another 100, 100 plus rushing yard game. Um, you know, no wide receiver for UCLA had over 100 plus receiving yards, but he was able to spread the ball out pretty decently. Uh, Jake Bobo, his favorite target for a DTR, four receptions for 76 yards receiving. But ultimately, UCLA, they would just fall short after DTR would throw the game-losing interception right to the USC linebacker. As USC, they win the Battle of LA, and I think they've clinched their spot in the Pac-12 championship game. As, UC, as USC, they win 48-45 to over their in-city rival. So, anyways, y'all, we have one final game to talk about here in Week 12, and I mean, when I told y'all we had a lot of crazy action, I mean, we had a ton of crazy action. But um, 
anyway, guys, for this final game, we're going to go over to Eugene, Oregon. We're going to stay on the West Coast. Another Pac-12 game as we had the 10th-ranked Utah Utes taking on Bo Nix and the 12th-ranked Oregon Ducks. And for Oregon, coming off a really stunning loss last week to Washington at home, you know, the running back slipping on fourth down, something really unfortunate. And, you know, overall, Bo Nix played really well. I mean, he played really well last week, and, you know, he's going to want to be able to continue to keep up these performances once to keep Oregon still alive in the Pac-12 championship race. Because, I mean, hey, something weird could happen to where Oregon could potentially put themselves back into being in contention for the college football playoff if so-and-so loses and this and that. But, but anyway, so actually talking about how this game would go, you know, Utah, they have a pretty good defense. It's kind of always been their thing is – Utah's always had a really good defense, a kind of underrated rushing offense, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, so far for this season, it's been the connection between Cameron Rising and kind of one of the emerging tight end stars in college football, Dalton Kincaid, who had a monstrous game against USC a few weeks back. But, you know, anyway, in this game, Cameron Rising struggled. I mean, all night long, that Oregon defense, who, you know, got thrown all over against Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies. I mean, they could not stop anything. That game last week was very similar to how the USC and UCLA game went this weekend. And pretty much that was kind of the, you know, what a lot of expectations I had included. I thought, okay, well, Oregon's defense, they're going to struggle. Utah's going to put up some points. Oregon's going to put up some points. But this is actually a pretty low-scoring affair considering it was the Pac-12 after dark game. As Cameron Rising, his final stat line in this game would be 21 for 38, 170 yards passing with zero touchdowns, and then three very costly interceptions. So a lot of credit needs to be given to the Oregon defense, which finally was able to get those turnovers. They were finally able to capitalize, especially against a really solid team in Utah that, I mean, obviously, they ha they are still a good team. They still have a really good defense. They were able to contain Bo Nix to only one passing touchdown on the day and then also got one uh, interception off of them as Bo Nix, who... I think his Heisman candidacy is probably pretty much over at this point. I mean, Oregon, they still have a slim chance of making the college football playoff if, say, they beat USC in the Pac-12 championship game. USC, they clinched their ticket to it with that win over UCLA. So just something to kind of monitor there. But Bo Nix would go 25 for 37, 287 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Not a horrible game by any means. He's a really tough kid. That's the biggest thing I think when you hear about Bo Nix. Kind of similar to Max Duggan at TCU. They are very tough quarterbacks. Not going to go down without a fight. Um, and then for Oregon, you know, receiving-wise, uh, Dante Thornton had four receptions for 151 yards receiving. I mean, he had a really good game. But the biggest problem for him was not being able to hold on to the football as he would have two fumbles in this game, which could have costed Oregon really I mean, really heavily in this game, but luckily enough, that Oregon defense, they stepped up when it mattered the most, getting three interceptions off of Cameron Rising in what was pretty much a defensive slugfest for the most part. And, you know, well, Oregon, they would get the last laugh in this game as they would kick the game-winning field goal in the fourth quarter to get a 20-17 to win over the Utah Utes. An upset win, technically, if you're looking at the rankings. It was an upset win for the Ducks as the Ducks were going to win 20-17 to as Oregon. They now improved to 9-2. and and are pretty much up there right now in the, for, you know, being able to go to the Pac-12 championship game. They're going to have a big game next week against Oregon State, their in-state rival for the Civil War rivalry. And then for Utah, they now fall to 8-3. and three. Likely are not going to make the Pac-12 championship game, but I still think they're a really good team. And, you know, next week they're just going to try and, you know, be able to finish out the regular season with a W and improve their stance in terms of making a bigger bowl game. So, anyways, y'all. That is going to wrap up all of our college football action from week 12 of the 2022 college football season. One of the more crazier weeks we've had in recent memory for sure. So let me know what y'all's favorite game was. 
mine, and you can say bias and everything, which, I mean, it is, was definitely going to that TCU-Baylor game and seeing that game-winning field goal by Griffin Kell and just the crazy transition and just the absolute, you know, courage it took Coach Dykes to be able to call that sequence of plays. So a ton of credit needs to be given him and that coaching staff for what they've been able to do in year one for the TCU Horned Frogs. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's recap. Make sure to like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can to make sure you show your support to the Cover 7 podcast so that we can continue to grow it and make sure everybody can stay up to date with college football and NFL news. Also, if y'all are feeling a little bit generous and want to up your support to the Cover 7 podcast, Anchor.fm has a monthly supporter program, which is $4.99 a month. It's like subscribing to your favorite Twitch streamer, YouTuber, whatever, and it just it just allows me to be able, be able to better financially support the podcast, better the quality, give y'all some exclusive perks, you know, just certain things like that to make sure I also give y'all some support as well for all the things y'all do for me. So, but thank you guys so much. It's not required or expected or anything like that. Simply y'all coming in and listening means the absolute world to me. So, guys, thank y'all so much for listening to today's recap episode. Make sure to check out NFL Week 11 recap episode, which will come out at Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central Time as well as we recap all of the NFL action from week 11. So guys, once again, thank you so much and I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.